A reading from the book of Luke. While all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, Beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. You may have a seat. Good morning. How are we doing this morning? Good. Hey, before I get started, before I get to preaching, you know how I get to preaching. Uh, a couple things to just uh, let you know about. So in our morning times uh, at, at our 930 service, we've kind of been running into an issue with parking and kids. And so in order to continue to reach people and, and create a space um, for, for others, we're actually going to be shifting our morning service times on November 19th, which is Victory Sunday. So this service time, 11.15, is gonna move forward to 10.45, get you into lunch a little bit earlier, and hopefully, and then we're gonna make the 9.30 a little less appealing. We're gonna move it to nine. So hopefully get a little bit of balance there because we really are actually running out of kids' space. And uh, if you have ever, I, I don't know how parking is 11.15 because I'm already here, but uh, at 9.30, um, we've been running into, running into an issue. And so we're continuing the parking thing. We are committed to working on that for the long haul. We knew that when we bought this building that that was our drawback, okay? We have a meeting this week with Gresham High School because they are just a block over. They have a, a very large, nice parking lot, way better than our parking lot. And so um, we're meeting with them. So be praying that that is an open door because that opens up all kinds of possibilities for the long haul. Now, also kind of tied to this, um, the last four years, PDX Eastside has been leasing from us. They had a five-year lease. They are actually ending it a year early. And with that, it actually is a good opportunity for us because we need to expand our kids' area and then for even morning services be able to, to, for the future to expand this. I don't know if you are aware, but there is a whole nother area of this building that is about twice, almost twice the size of this room over on that side, uh, okay? And so we're starting that process now. I just want you to be in the loop on that. Um, it's gonna be a couple year process of planning and expanding, but building, expanding kids area, being able to expand you know, our reach. He, he, these are really good problems to have, amen? Um, the, the Pacific Northwest is not exactly known as a place that is just teeming with believers expanding and growing, yet the Spirit is doing something in this church, and we want to steward it well. And so we want to be able to invest in that. But uh, what I want to do is just let, let you in on that so you're aware of, of things on the horizon. So uh, Victory Sunday, we already have 13 people registered to get baptized. It's going to be a huge celebration. It's going to be a party. 
It's going to be incredible. Do not show up at 11.15. Show up at 10.45. You can come at 9. You can come at 4. Any of those times are great, just not 11.15, okay? And so, uh, the, and then that will be into the future, for the foreseeable future, we're going to be um, launching those new times. So, done with announcements. Let's get to the word. So, we've been in, in, walking through this series called Encountering Jesus, where we're looking at story after story of these individuals who have radical encounters with Jesus. And sometimes it is far from what we expect. We looked at doubting Thomas and how he's not condemned for his doubt. He's actually, Jesus meets him in that place and reveals himself to Thomas. We see Saul's conversion, where Saul is persecuting the church, and Jesus radically converts him, and we see a transformation of his life. We see a bleeding woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. All she does is touch the fringe of his cloak, and it's this great display of faith. And so we're seeing encounter after encounter. Now, our story today is a little bit unique, and here's why it's unique. Because this woman, this widow, she doesn't even realize she has an encounter with Jesus. But Jesus sees her. And as we look at this story of incredible faith, what we find is that Jesus meets us in these different places and sees the burdens in our lives. And this is where I want to start. Listen, God sees our burdens. It says, he also saw a poor widow. He sees our burdens. And, and, and I, just, I just need you to hear that. God sees you. He sees what you're going through. He sees the pain. He sees the turmoil. He sees the tension. He is not a void, distant God. He is one that sees our lives. It's, uh, he, Jesus just got done teaching. Uh, be, woe these teachers of the law. And one of the things they do is they take these widows' houses, and then a widow shows up, and he's going to commend her for her faith. He sees what she's going through. And, and listen to me. Whatever you're going through, God sees it. Even financial burden. And, and listen, can we just be real? We're feeling some financial burden in our lives, are we not right now? Like somebody, I, I just feel for you guys who are looking to buy maybe a first home, right? And you were like, man, I'm gonna scrap and I'm gonna save and I'm gonna hustle. And it seems like every single month it gets further and further away. You know why? Because it's getting further and further away, you know, right? Or, or even maybe you've been established for a long time, and you're looking, at, you're looking at the cusp of retirement. You've been sa- working and saving for decades, and you see your 401k, and you're like, man, it is, it is dwindling. And, and you start to feel the stress. and the, There are all kinds of stress. Or all of us, we are all feeling, are we feeling inflation, right? Man, you can't, you can't go out to eat. You can't get groceries anymore. But uh, there was a post this week, okay, by New York Times. He's actually a Nobel Prize-winning economist named Paul Krugman, okay? He put, he put this post. He says, the war on inflation is over. We won at very little cost. And people were like, how come I don't feel that, you know? And then they looked at his chart a little bit, uh, you know, Closer, And they're like, oh, okay, so CPI, which is the Consumer Price Index. So this is inflation. All you have to do is remove the cost of food, the cost of energy, the cost of shelter, and the cost of transportation. And then inflation's flat. You know, people are like, are you kidding me? Like, you know, so as long as you just don't exist, then there's no inflation. It's fine, right? But so we see these, we feel these burdens. And what I need you to hear and see, you guys, God sees what you're going through. Okay, and, and over and over and over, we talk about this idea of church. Church is not somewhere where you leave your burdens at the door, you bring them to the altar. We, we, whatever it is, is not too small, not too shallow, not too distant. No, everything is spiritual in God's eyes. 
And so we bring these things. And so God sees this woman, and he sees that she's a widow. He sees her grief and her loss. He sees her financial status, and he does not diminish it or belittle it. He sees her burdens. And you guys, we've done this silly thing of under-spiritualizing money in a way that Jesus never did. Now, here's what I I want you to understand. God cares about your relationship with him. That is his primary, um, primary call and longing for us, okay? He desires that you would trust him. He cares about your spiritual state. It's not, oh, here's your money and your possessions and your stuff, and I care about them more than I care about. No, he cares about you. But in that, he cares about how they're tied to our faith and our character. Richard Halverson, he puts it like this. He says, Jesus Christ said more about money than about any other single thing because when it comes to a man's real nature, money is of first importance. Money is an exact index to a man's true character. All through scripture, there is an intimate correlation between the development of a man's character and how he handles his money. Now, this is very insightful, and and Richard is almost right here. And here's here's what I mean. Um, If you grew up going to church, one of the things you probably heard uh, the preacher, <laughs> pastor say often is that Jesus talked about money more than any other topic. I'm, I maybe even have said it at some point. Um, this is actually not accurate, and this is not true when you really dive through the Gospels. And here's what I mean. This is why it's said, okay? Because 11 out of his 39 parables, roughly 25%, are about money. But here's the thing. They're not actually about money. They use money as a tool to talk about something else. By the same token, you could say, actually, 18 out of 39 parables about food. The most important thing to Jesus is food. Bring your food to the altar. Offer your gift of food. Bring the Chick-fil-A on Saturday. You know, whatever. Like, no, like, it's actually a twisting of it. Here's how I need you to understand Jesus' parables. 39 out of 39 of Jesus' parables talked about the kingdom of God. That is what he cares about. And all these other things are but a means to his relationship with you. Listen, I I don't mean to diminish this or or, or put it to, but Jesus came to reveal the character and nature of God. And what that means is even when we talk about money, God cares about our money way less than we think. But he cares about how we handle our money way, way more than we dare to imagine. Because he cares about your heart. And he wants us to experience trusting relationship with him. He wants us to experience his goodness and his grace because everything in life is spiritual. We try to separate the spiritual and the secular. That, God never does that. All of this is tied to our hearts and our relationship with God. And so when Jesus talks about money, He talks about it in a spiritual way because our money and possessions, they're attached to our spiritual life. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He doesn't care about your treasure. He cares about your heart. That's what he longs for. And so all of these areas of life, whether they're wounds, relationships, doubt, pain, you know what your financial life is and all these other areas? They're just one more way that Jesus wants you to encounter him and experience his radical goodness and grace that you would experience the kingdom of grace. And so we come to this story 
of a widow who gives two coins. And what we encounter is a glimpse of a kingdom that is so good, so wonderful, so powerful that even a poor widow can impact the kingdom with her radical generosity. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of the kingdom. How? How is this actually possible? It's because God sees our generosity. He sees it. It says, he also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. I need you to see and to understand that God sees. Not only does he see your burdens that you face in real life, but he sees your, ra- your radical acts of obedience. He sees when you entrust him. He sees when you walk in his footsteps. He sees your gifts to his church. He sees when you sow into the kingdom. He sees when you sacrifice of your time and talents and treasure for the good of others. He sees your kindness towards those in need. He sees your generosity. I remember a number of years ago, a friend of mine was coming to this church and her husband, she was a stay-at-home mom and her husband just lost her job and she was sharing the, with the church this burden, that, this fear and all these elements. And this was on a Thursday and they showed up on Sunday and they gave a generous gift to the church. And I, I just asked her, I was like, whoa, whoa, why? I just want to know why. You just shared all the burdens. Now, why did you show up and still give? Even though you have this fear Unknown, And she says, because this is what we do. We trust God with everything, including our money. And I'm not about to stop trusting God when I need him the most. And I was like, whoo, that'll preach. I'll steal that and I will use it and I will not credit you, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and so let me just ask this. Is God seeing you enough? Or do you need human praise too? I mean, I, I know the inclination, Right? You, you ever done those like GoFundMes where somebody's like, you know, collecting money and they ask at the end, they're like, um, do you want this to be public or do you want it to be private? I'm like, are you kidding me? Make that public, put a banner at the top. Like, I want everybody to know. Like, uh, yeah, yep, this is, right? We have this, this incline, maybe nobody else, no amens on that. Okay, all right, apparently <laughs> confession time, I guess. Right, we have this inclination. We want attention. We want glory from other people. We want, we want them to look at us and see. Here's what's so crazy. In Matthew 6, Jesus is teaching about this. And, and, and he's talking about people who give gifts and draw attention to it. Look at what I did. Look at what I did. And here's what he says. He says, those who receive praise from man have received their reward in full. But those who give in secret entrust the reward to God. Man, is God seeing you enough? When Michelangelo, one of his first pieces of art was the Pietra, this incredible carving. Pietra means stone in Italian because it's carved from a single piece of marble. This is the Virgin Mary holding Jesus after he's been crucified upon the cross. Because he was 24 years old when he carved this. Like, what are you doing with your life, (laughs) right? You know what I'm saying? 24, it's incredible. And so they had this big event and people came to this gala and watching and, and seeing, and he would just stand back in the shadows, right? Not everybody know, knew who he is. He's this young artist. And he would just listen to the conversations. But this conversation started, this rumor started that somebody else carved the Pietra. And he's sitting there listening to one of his rivals get credit for this incredible carving. And you, you just imagine what happens in that moment, right? This anger. 
And so what he did was that night, uh, he snuck back into this gallery and brought his chisel and brought his hammer and across the sash of Mary wrote, Michelangelo of Florence made this. (laughs) And the next day, when he came back to see it, he was so ashamed that he defaced the Virgin Mary, that he defaced this piece of art that was meant to be an honor unto God, that he never signed another piece of his artwork again. Is God seeing enough? Or do you need the praise of man? How often we long for the praise of man and we deface and defame our worship because of it. See, what's incredible about this encounter is that widow, this widow has no idea that she has an encounter. She, she doesn't know that Jesus sees. He doesn't come up to her and say, woman, your faith has healed you. Daughter, your faith is incredible. God will use this gift. She doesn't actually get that moment at all. There's no place in the recorded gospels where we see Jesus going up to her and having this conversation. Yet God sees her just the same, does he not? And he sees her radical generosity, and I promise you, I guarantee you, he blesses her for it. Why? Because any gift offered to the hands of God is submitted to kingdom math. You know what kingdom math is? This is kingdom math. God loves doing much with little. Over and over and over through the gospels, this is the story you see, that God loves doing much with little. Is it not five loaves of bread and two fish that he feeds thousands upon thousands with? Is it not a little bit of water in a, in a clay pot that he turns into wine, the best wine of the entire wedding of Cana? Is it not a small touch on the tassels of his robe that he uses to wipe out 12 years of bleeding and suffering and pain? Is it not the faith of a mustard seed that he says will move mountains? And we come to this gift, these two small coins. We, we don't know what happens with, we, we, ne- we never find out, right? But here's what I can promise you. Here's what I can guarantee. He did something kingdom-sized with it. Listen, here's what I need you to hear. Wherever you're at today, the burdens you face, our financial burdens do not exclude us from kingdom generosity. This is what we learn from this amazing widow. She is not excluded from kingdom generosity, but you know what our financial burdens and situations do? They invite us to participate in kingdom power. That as we offer these and surrender these to the Lord, we can experience his multiplication his grace, his goodness. See, here's what we find in scripture, that God doesn't need your gift. He longs for your surrender. It says, truly I tell you, this widow has put in more than all the others. Not than every other, than all the others. She has put in more than all the others. All these people they gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. This is how we know that God wants the heart. Because if it, was, if it was how much, then, then that would be different than, 
this gift of sacrifice. He wants the heart. We give because it's good for us, not because it's good for God. It's an act of obedience. And I just love the detail that she gave two coins. Because think about it, right? She has these two coins. Other translations explain that it, 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 two mites, which is about 1% of a day's wages. It's nothing. It's literally pocket change. And if she didn't give it, it's not like anyone would judge her for it. You know what I'm saying? If she gave none, you'd be like, no, you need that. You absolutely, if anybody needs to hold on to their money, you need to hold on to your money. Or if she gave one of the two, we'd be like, she gave half of her wealth. What have you done, right? You know, we would celebrate it. Yet she gives both as a declaration of complete surrender. And and, and here's the thing. How many of us, we say, man, I'm going to start being generous uh, when I actually have resources. Once I have means, oh, I want means, you know, once I have resources, then I'm going to start being generous. Here's what I'll say. No, you won't. Unless you're generous, generous with little, you will not be generous with much. It starts now. Now is an opportunity in our lives to entrust a, a posture, saying, no, we want to be a generous people. And it's true. It's a kingdom principle that he who he can trust with little, he can trust. Think, think of it like this, okay? So my kids, um, they've been begging me for a dog, right? Every time we drive past a dog, they're like, oh, look at that dog, that's so cute. You know, we just want that dog. My, my daughter wants a Pomeranian. She's like, oh, little pom-pom, just so adorable. Or she wants like an old, like, golden retriever. Apparently she's been watching Homework Bound too much, you know, shadow, right? Like it's going to talk to her, you know? My son doesn't care. He's like a German shepherd. I don't care. As long as I can call it D-O-G, right? That's its name, D-O-G. And I'm like, that is 10-year-old humor. Here's the thing. Um, My kids are not getting a dog until they prove to me they can take care of it. And they say over and over, no, we'll take care of it. And here's what I know. Six weeks in, I'm the one out on that lawn, skipping up, picking up, you know, where it goes to the bathroom. I'm the one, I'm going to be the one walking it in the cold, frigid rain of Oregon. That's, that's what I know. You, and some of you guys are like that's, like, that's a little bit harsh, like, okay? But here's the thing. They're the ones that want a dog. I don't want a dog, right? I have, you know what I have? I have little humans, right? My wife and I, we made people, right? And they don't shed, they don't bark at the Amazon truck, right? They don't go to the bathroom on the lawn. It's glor- It's amazing, right? I, we made people. I, li- I like my people. They're, 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 they're glorious, okay? And so the, and these kids, they're like, oh, no. I'm like, here's how you would prove to me is that if they actually take care of it. Here's how I know they won't take care of it is because we've given them little creatures, little animals, and they have, they've all died, right? <laughs> all of them. I can't tell you how many, like, dried-up frogs and lizards I've found in my house, Right? You know, like Scratchy the hamster became Stiffy the hamster after only a handful of weeks of missing watering, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, do you flush it? I, I don't know what you do, right? right? And so there's a dad code when it comes, it comes to this thing. Whoever can be trusted with little animals can also be trusted with big ones. That's how it is. Some of you guys are like, don't you have cats? Yeah, we have cats. You know why? Because cats are like furniture. You know what I'm saying? Like saying I got a cat is like saying I got a lamp, right? Cats don't have souls. They were... Cats were after the fall. Like nobody, it's like, what, like whatever, right? But, but dogs, man, dogs are like a part of the family. Are they not, right? Nobody, nobody's like, oh, I love my cat. Are you? So the other day, so we had some friends over and I'm like snuggling my cat and she was like, you're a liar. You like that thing. I'm like, don't you tell anybody, right? <laughs> oh, here's the thing. I care about my kids. That's why this matters to me. And 
I'm not going to entrust them with more unless I can entrust them first with less. And this, is, this isn't actually dad code. I, I, I stole this and I hijacked. This is Jesus. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. This is what he tells us in Luke 16. This is a kingdom principle. And Paul, Paul builds on this in 2 Corinthians. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap generously. I'm going to skip verse 7 for now. I'll get back to it in a second. But, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. This is kingdom principle. You know what it is? Sow generously and reap generously. And we hear stuff like this and we're like, I don't, man, I feel hesitant about that. This is scripture, you guys. And the reason we feel hesitant about it is because of the prosperity gospel. And this is what the prosperity gospel says. If you just have faith in God, he will bless you with finances and goodness and health. That is nowhere to be found in scripture. In fact, Jesus says, uh, in this world, you will have many troubles. He warns us of, of the cost of taking up our cross and following him. And so what Paul is teaching here is nothing in line with the prosperity gospel. He's not saying, man, if you just have faith, then God's going to entrust you with more. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, if you sow, as in plant, as in pour out generously, you will reap generously because he can trust you C.H. Linsky put it like this. He said, the generosity and magnanimity of God are so great that he accepts nothing from us without rewarding it beyond all computation. The vast disproportion existing between our work and God's reward of it is a radical display of his boundless grace. This God longs to pour out blessing in your life. God longs to entrust you. But he needs to see evidence of your obedience. He wants to see evidence of you walking and stewarding what he's entrusted you with already. There's a book called Generosity is Paradoxical, written by Christian Smith and Hilary Davidson. And in it, they're doing a five-year study of Americans, and they called it the Science of Generosity Initiative. Um, it's funded by the University of Notre Dame. And they publish their findings in this book. And, and they're just studying the generosity of these Americans and what actually happens in their life. And, and they said their, their findings are staggering, okay? And they're staggering unless you read the Bible. This is what they said. And they said, the more generous Americans are, because again, it was just a study with Americans, um, the more happiness, health, and purpose in life they enjoy. And then they break down each one of these and, and give evidence. This is what we see. And you can even, you start to like, man, I don't, what does that mean? But even the health thing, they're like, listen, how much of our health issues are tied to stress? And when we're just holding on and, and, and we're just greedy and wanting more, the, we actually gain more stress versus saying, I want to be generous with what I've been entrusted with. By giving ourselves away, we ourselves move toward flourishing. And then they give the contrast. They say, by grasping onto what we currently have, we lose out on better goods that we might have gained. 
by always protecting ourselves against future uncertainty and misfortune. Now, don't miss this, okay? Because that is one of the reasons people aren't generous. They're like, look, I don't know what's going to happen in the future, so I got to hedge. I got to protect myself against future uncertainty and future misfortune. We are affected in ways that make us more anxious about uncertainties and more vulnerable to future misfortune. Fortune. Now, again, you just read this in a sociology book. You're like, ah, man, I don't know how to take that. But whenever science and the word of God line up, I feel like you should listen. And this aligns with what God has said. He said it's more blessed to give and to receive. And so it's this invitation that he's offering to look at this widow, saying, man, look at her faith. Look at this radical act of generosity because what God wants with what he's entrusted you with is for you to steward it wisely, invest it fruitfully, and sow it generously. In verse seven, this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9. He says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is an invitation into joy, you guys. And that's what he wants. He's saying, hey, if you're giving out a compulsion because you feel obligated, right? He's saying, don't give. I want you to give joyfully. I want you to give cheerfully. This is one of the reasons why at, at Rise, um, we, I don't know how many of you guys grew up in church and they passed the, you know, passed the plate, right? It was like a bowl. Or we had the thing with the two handles and like the basket, like a, there was a rabbit gonna pop out of it, you know? modern day, it's like KFC buckets, you know? And, uh, you know, it, here's the thing. I'm not saying we never will, but like we're 10 years in and we never have. I don't think we ever are going to. And here's why, all right? Uh, here's what I believe. That one of the biggest reasons when you invite someone to church that they're like, I do not, listen, I, I don't want to go. You know what the, one of the biggest hesitancies is? They say, oh, they just want my money, right? And so you, you have that moment, right? And then somebody comes up and they're playing the violin and the bells, you know, and they were passing around, you know, singing the song, right? What do you feel in that moment? You feel compulsion. You're like, I, like I, they're, they're, that's that moment. But also the same is true for people who call Rise Home. I don't want you to give out a compulsion. I want you to give out a joy. So, so we, we are very intentional because, listen, giving is an act of worship, but it's joyful worship. Man, I get to give. I get to participate. And you start to get a taste of it, to see the fruit of, of being generous with others and generous in the kingdom. Man, it becomes this massive joy that you get to participate in. See, generosity, it's kingdom participation. We, here's what's crazy. We do not get the rest of this widow's story. We don't know what Jesus actually does with her gift. We don't, we don't get to see it. So the, the book of Luke was written by a guy named Luke. Very fitting. You guys are like, wow, that was deep. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm here all day. He writes a follow-up called Acts. Luke is the one who, who wrote it. We don't see a moment in the book of Acts where we're like, and the church was funded by this woman's two, like we don't, we don't actually see that. We don't see that she shows up and she's some like baller entrepreneur later, you know, like we don't, we have no idea what happens. But here's what we do know. 2,000 years later, here we are on the other side of the world talking about her generosity. How many sermons have been preached on her generosity? How many books have been written? How many lives have been inspired and transformed because of her 
generosity. See, here's what's incredible. This is the joy of giving, is we get to participate in the kingdom. God does not need us. This is through all the story. He doesn't need us, but he chooses to let us be a part of what he's doing. When he feeds the 5,000, he lets the disciples hold that miracle in their hands and pass it out. He lets us feed and clothe the lost sheep of our city. He lets us love the saints. He lets us build his, he lets us participate and he sees and it's beautiful. Uh, my, my daughter Nova, she's eight years old and her favorite thing to do when she goes on daddy dates is she wants to go on my, I have like a little Vespa scooter. She gets her little helmet on. She wants to go riding to downtown Gresham to go to Eye Candy. That's like her favorite place to do. That's like date time, or if I pick them up, she's like, let's go to Eye Candy, right? So, uh, so we, always, we spend time like all summer, like multiple times a week going down to Eye Candy, okay? And, uh, and we'd go, and I met, um, I met a couple, Josh and Sydney, who just recently, it's, they moved down from Seattle, they started coming to Rise. Uh, Josh started serving in our worship team. They started giving to our church. They started pouring into community. They were a part of a city group, all these things. And they took over ownership of eye candy. So we'd go down, and I'd run into Josh, you know, all the time, right? They're, they're hustling, and they're scooping ice cream. Well, one of the weeks we go in there, I'm with Dax, and I'm with Nova, and we're getting ice cream. And he goes, hey. And he kind of looks at my kids, and he slides these little pieces of paper across the counter. And they grab them, and they get big old eyes, and they look at me. And it says, free ice cream scoop, right? So we get this little stack. Now, they, you would have thought my kids just won, you know, the final prize on the prices, right? They were just like, ice cream scoop. It was, like, it was like a glorious moment. And so all summer, we'd go in, and they would just like, they would hold on to those things like it was gold. They're like, we got ice cream, you know? And we'd walk into eye candy, and they'd walk up to the counter, and they'd get their ice cream, and they'd slide it over like, <laughs> it's free, you know? And you know what Josh would do? He would take those coupons, he'd put them in, the, put them in his computer, and then he'd put them back on the counter, and he'd slide them back over to my kids. Just a simple act of generosity. And my kids' smiles, they would just beam. And I remember telling Josh, no, it's okay, we can pay for ice cream. And he's like, look, man, I love this church, and I love your family, and I love what you do. And we just want to be a small act of generosity to you. And, and here's what, so Josh is sitting here, here right now, okay? Here's what I need you to hear. God sees you. He sees those simple acts of generosity. And, and here's the thing. Some of you guys know this, um, but two weeks ago, I candy at 1.45 in the morning got broken into. And they went into the back room, and they got their safe, and they broke open their safe, and they stole $3,000 cash out of it. Those are devastating moments for a young family. When you're trying to figure out how to pay rent, when you're trying to put food on the table for your little kids, you're trying to pay, pay employees, those are, those are moments of offense. Those are wounds, and those are burdens. But here's the beauty of the church. Um, Josh and Sydney, they are a part of our body. And you know what the church is called to? It says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so when one part of the body suffers, we are actually called to join in suffering with it. And so here's what I did. I reached out to those who serve in our church and I just shared the story. 
And I said, hey, listen, biblically, you know what we're called to do in this moment? We're called to bear with them. We're called to suffer with them. And so if you want to give to help replenish that, um, we would absolutely accept that gift. And then we'll present it to Josh and Sydney. And they have, they're like sweating right now because they have no idea that I'm about to do this. Um, but we collected money, not from Rise, from Rise, from the church body saying, no, we're, we're all coming together. And here's what's incredible. Um, we collected money over the last uh, couple weeks. And right before uh, Kristen went to the bank to get some money out, um, a final gift came in. And the total that was given uh, was $3,000. And so this burden, uh, and actually, hey, I'm going to run out here. I'm going to give it to you right now. It's been in my pocket the whole time. <laughs> Love you guys. That's a normal Sunday if you've never been here. <laughs> and I just put something small in there. It just says God sees. Because he does. He sees our radical acts of generosity. He sees his body. And here's what I need you to understand. The joy, like this is fun. The joy of being part of a church that is moving. Being a part of a church that is impacting our community. Being part of a church that bears one another's burdens. We get to participate in the kingdom, you guys. This is not a have to. This is a get to. When we give to God, we are participating. We are joining him in his kingdom work. We get to plant churches all over the world. We get to invest in the kingdom, breaking forth here in Gresham. We get to care for widows when the insurance runs out. We get to raise up the next generation of, to love and know Jesus. We get to meet real needs of burdened people. We get to give back to the one who gives all. Why are we generous people? Because we serve a generous God. We walk in his footsteps. We follow after him and what he's called us to and what he's doing. The single most generous act in all of human history, you know what it was? Jesus Christ taking on flesh and blood. Yeah. Moving into the neighborhood. Dwelling among us. Living the life that we could never live. A life of perfection. And then at the moment the time of his death, that was our death. He took our sin, our brokenness upon himself. And you know what he gave us in return? His righteousness. His perfect standing before the Father. The gospel is a story of generosity. And so to be a generous people mean we are invited into participating in a generous Kingdom. Scott Riddow puts it like this. Generosity is not an idea, hope, or desire. It is a choice. It's a direction. It is a lifestyle. Our God is a generous God. And our goal as believers is to become like him. Lord, would you make us more like you? Would we be a radically generous people in all of our lives? whether it be the time that we have to offer, whether it be our talents, whether it be our money and our possessions, Lord, all of it, we, it's yours. 
and you have entrusted us to steward it well. Lord, would we use these resources that you've given us to make kingdom impact, to participate in what you are doing? And Lord, when, when we do, I just pray we would just be blown away by your faithfulness, blown away by your grace and your goodness and your mercy and your kindness and your steadfastness. You see us. You see our burdens and our pain and our weariness. Lord, would we bring it all to you, entrusting you with all of our lives. We pray this by the nature of your son, Jesus. Amen.